everyone, and welcome to Hello City, a lighthearted educational podcast about the built environment. I'm your host, Lisa Dunaway, AICP Lead AP. And I know I said that this week was going to be an episode with a guest, and I'm sorry. So I had some minor technical difficulties getting that going. Not the guest's fault, but in all honesty, I felt kind of crappy lately anyway. So the guest and I have postponed to next week. The episode next week then, unless something weird comes up, should be with my really awesome guest. I'm super excited to speak to him. And actually, I'm going to end up probably doing two episodes with him because he had two really good stories and it was kind of hard to pick. So we'll probably do both. But having said that, um, I didn't even think I was going to do an episode at all this week because I still don't feel great and I apologize um, if I don't sound great. But I did hear from some people in response to my RFQ episode, the last episode, complaining about poorly written RFQs. So I thought, oh, I could do a short episode this week, even though I don't feel great, just because there's not nearly the number of things to discuss this time as there was in part one. However, I'm going to leave it open-ended. If you want to complain some more, if you want to add some to the list of RFQ complaints, um, I'm not opposed to doing a part three at some point or any other episode. If you come up with something you want to add on to a previous episode, we can always do part twos. Why not? could be fun. Actually, the more I hear from listeners, the happier I am, so don't be shy about contacting me. I'll give you all that info at the end. Okay, so let's get into some of the things that I heard recently that were complaints related to the RFQ, RFP process that I didn't cover last week. So this one has made me kind of upset in the past too, even though I'm really organized and and tend to be able to put together good things with very little notice, it's still quite rude to give consultants a very short amount of time to prepare for their interview if they make the short list. So they've responded to your RFQ or RFP, you decided that they're pretty cool but you need to talk to them more, that's perfectly legit. It's very typical to interview two or three different teams or firms to decide who you like the best. Because if you're going to do a long-term project with somebody and maybe you don't know them very well or you don't know them at all, you want to make sure that you have a nice rapport with them. You want to be able to see firsthand how they respond to questions, how they think on their feet, especially if they're going to help you with some sort of public engagement process that's going to happen to them during that process. How are they going to deal with maybe some angry people from the community or answer questions on the fly? And the interview is a nice way to sort of screen that. However, I have been given as little time as two days to prepare for a shortlist interview. And I am talking business days. There was a weekend involved, but it had been a weekend that was devoted to other things. So let me explain. I made a short list. I had partnered with another person. We were super excited. We thought we had a really good chance of winning this project. We were perfect for what this RFQ had asked for. 
And we'd even pre-met with the client, thought that we had a good rapport with them, thought we had a great shot. They notified us on a Thursday, and I want to say it was even in the afternoon. Thursday, let's be generous and say they told us on a Thursday morning that they wanted to interview us on the next Tuesday. And, you know, what can you say to that? You can't say, uh, no, that's rude as fuck. I don't have the time. And the, the compounding thing was that the Indiana State Chapter Conference was the very next week. And the people who were going to be doing our interview knew that I was presenting at that conference and had, they should have assumed that I had preparation to do, which I did. Luckily, I had a lot of my talks already done, but they didn't know that, right? So they were giving me notice on Thursday. They wanted our team to interview on Tuesday. That Friday and Monday, in between being notified and being interviewed, neither I or my friend who I had teamed with were even going to be in the office. She was out of town doing stuff with her own firm, and I was going to be physically out of my office for those two days as well. And I had planned to set my weekend aside to finish up my conference stuff. Well, that is the most extreme example that's happened to me personally, but it really blew my mind that knowing that the conference was coming up, they gave us such a short amount of time. But even if the conference hadn't been coming up, they gave us two business days to prepare. That's about as rude as it gets <laughs> when you're talking about problems with the RFQ, RFP process. And clearly it's bothered other people because I heard about it. A little bit related to that, if we're talking about time, is not giving people a lot of time to talk when they do their interview. So I can completely understand people wanting to keep the interviews to like an hour. I mean, the hour is, is fine, but let's say you have an hour and you're only going to give them 10 minutes to talk. Well, all right. You have to then be very cognizant of what they put in their RFQ or RFP response because they don't have time to reiterate all that information, nor should they. The interview is an additional amount of information. It's mostly going to be them responding to your questions. So that's fine, but I've heard people complain about this. I've had it happen to me where you get hardly any time to do a presentation for the interview so you don't repeat anything that you've put in your proposal because you assume that your selection committee has read that. If you don't get chosen after the interview and people are like, well, we didn't really know what you were going to do. Well, it was all in our response and you only gave us a few minutes to talk to you. So we weren't going to repeat what was in the response. And you had 50 minutes to ask us questions. If you didn't ask the things that you needed to know to feel, feel like this process was flushed out, then that's your fault, right? So that's a, a pretty common thing, it seems like. Selection committees hold it against the consultants that they don't know all the things that they wanted to know, but yet they 
clearly either didn't read the entire response from the consultant or they didn't come prepared with questions so they didn't ask everything they wanted to know or both. Related to the interview, lying about the reasons that people lost or not giving a lot of information. I mean, at that point, what do you have to lose as the selection committee, except to be honest with people? I've heard people give me or people I know reasons that are just demonstrably untrue. And I always think like, well, it's not like I can sue you. It's not like I can do anything other than just be like pissed. So why are you not actually giving me the real reasons? I know this, what you're telling me is not the real reason. So let me have it, give it to me straight. So then I can take that information and do better next time. Well, I'm probably not ever gonna apply to something with you again. I maybe can glean something out of that to make my presentation and proposal better for the next job that I go for. But when it is demonstrably untrue, like you can go through the reasons that someone gave you why you weren't picked and check off every single one of those because you can find it in your proposal and or your interview and be like, I know these things aren't true. So what really was it? Or this one happened uh, to me recently. I was on a team with a bigger firm and we were up against a couple other really good firms for something. And it was a local project that supposedly was um, giving a little more favor to local firms. So I thought, man, we, we're, we're a shoe in for this. We're perfect for this because it was in the same county in which I live and my business is registered. And when they got through the scoring, they decided not to do any shortlist interviews. But I am under the impression, but you know, it came through the grapevine because I wasn't the one who talked to the, the, the people who represented the selection committee. But it appears that we lost by like less than five points. And it seems like there were like 60 points available. So if you lose by fewer than five points and don't even get a short list interview, that seemed super crazy to me. Like if it's that close, why wouldn't you just go ahead and talk to the people? It's a couple hours out of your day. So that was really bizarre to me. I guess the other team like was a distant third, but when there's only two out of the three that are so close, super weird to me. And I guess the fellow who was the contact from the bigger firm that I was partnering with tried to get the information out of the selection committee. Like how, how were we coming up so short? Like what did we do wrong? And they were basically like, you didn't do anything wrong. You just came in second. Well, what the F? Like there has to be something. There has to be some place that we fell short or we wouldn't have come within five points of the other team. Like even if it was a point or two in this category and a point or two in that category, you could let people know, you know, like it's going to hurt your reputation if people are loudmouths about it and word gets around that, you know, don't work in this place or that pick place because they won't give it to you straight. But it just seems to happen a lot. It's very, it's very sad to me as a private consultant. And maybe, you know, it's 
something that's so normalized that people don't even think about it anymore, but it shouldn't be normalized. You should give your consultants the real reasons why they didn't get picked. And if it is only that you already know such and such firm and you just wanted to work with them again, then so be it. There's nothing that the consultants who didn't win can do about that. Now, what you should have done is wrote your RFQ and used that opt-out disclaimer that I talked about last week where you just say shortlist interviews are not necessary or you have the, the choice to not use them. So then you can just pick whoever the hell you want and you'll probably get fewer responses anyways because that's typically a signal to people that you've already got somebody in mind. Other people need not apply. They're just going to waste their time. In that same vein, this is another thing that is clearly super duper normalized and it should not be but not notifying people if they didn't get shortlisted and or if your process has been delayed now this is a thing where different municipalities or state level governments can very quickly get a bad reputation that's hard to get rid of there is a pervasive joke amongst my colleagues that working with the state can be a nightmare because they'll give you a date for something but then you don't hear anything for like two months after that that's not the kind of reputation you want that's not the kind of ship you want to run obviously but if you are behind schedule and let's say you published that what is today's date november 14th 2019 let's say you published in your rfq or rfp that November 14th, 2019 was gonna be the short list interview days. So people should set that day aside in case they get picked. Well, then that day comes and goes and they don't hear anything. If you get to the end of that day that you put in writing is probably the short list interview day. All you have to do is send an email to the people who replied to your RFQ or RFP and say, hey, we're behind schedule. That's all you have to do. Keep your eyes open for another email and we'll let you know what's going on. That's all it has to be. It could take you 45 seconds to write that email. And that would just be a much nicer thing to do. Get you started off on the right foot with that group of people because obviously you're gonna end up picking one of them. And help your reputation because for better or worse, people talk, right? Especially when you get together at conferences, it's just like a bitch fest when people get together at conferences and they complain about everything that's happened in the past six months since they saw their buddies at the previous conference <laughs> six months ago. And you can very quickly get the reputation of like, don't deal with so-and-so in this county or this city because they're so disorganized. They never even let me know that I wasn't shortlisted or whatever. The reverse is true as well. I've known firms that have gotten blacklisted in certain counties, and that might be something I can talk about in a future episode. So if you have stories about a firm you worked for, or if you are a municipality who blacklisted somebody, you don't have to say where you're from or who the firm was, but those stories are kind of juicy. So I welcome those if you want to send me those. I have a couple myself from places that I used to work, so I could always add in my two cents. Of course, you know, I love to do that. But again, notify your shortlist that has been selected, but also the people who didn't get shortlisted, 
You know, it sucks to not be shortlisted, but then at least they know and they're not worried about it. I mean, it can be a thing and maybe people are delusional and they think like, I'm a shoe in for this or I have a really good chance for this and they didn't. I mean, that happens all the time, obviously. It happens to me quite a bit. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get this. I'm awesome for this and then I don't. So whatever, okay. Maybe people are delusional and think they're gonna win when they don't, but people plan what they go for based on what they think their workload is going to be. And there's a, my favorite word lately, insidious thing that some RFQs do where they ask you, if you win this, what percentage of your time will be devoted to this project? How the fuck are you supposed to know that? Like you don't know how many projects you're gonna win in the next year. You could have 10 responses to RFQs out at a given time and end up winning eight, or you could end up winning one. So how are people supposed to estimate that? And if the firm is a good firm, good enough that you've ended up choosing them, so what if they're busy? They're gonna get it done for you because they're good, and that's why you picked them. And if they need to hire more people, they will. That's not your problem. So I hate, hate, hate that question of how much time will you be devoting to this project if you win? Well, you might be the only project I have next year. So I'm basically at your beck and call. You get 100% of my time. Good for you. Or I could get really lucky and win five projects next year, in which case you're going to get 20% of my time. But that doesn't mean that the product I give you is any less good because that's my personal standard that I set for myself. That's my reputation. I only partner with people who have the same standards for themselves and we present ourselves that way. So we will find a way to get it done. Don't worry about how much of our time you are taking up. Everybody bullshits that number anyway. You're basically asking people to lie because there's no way people can estimate that and be spot on. Two final things have to do with the length of the RFQ and the length of the responses. So I touched on the response limitations a little bit in the last one, but I heard from people. So I want to elaborate a little bit more on the page limit thing. I stated that I was opposed to page limits and I get why people set page limits because they assume that they're going to get lots of responses and they're trying to be efficient with their time. However, giving a page limit is very arbitrary and you are limiting people's ability to show you what they can do in terms of graphic design and user friendliness and approachability and just plain old interest. You know, basically anybody who's going to read a plan, even if they paid you to produce that plan, anybody who reads that plan is doing so voluntarily. So you need to make it visually interesting. And the first way that you can show some selection committee that you have that skill set is to make your response to their RFQ visually interesting. But that requires a certain amount of breathing room. Maybe you have some infographics, maybe you use some interesting colors, maybe you change the layout from page to page, you're using InDesign instead of Word. That is going to give you a huge leg up if someone actually gives you the ability to do that. Page limits are very detrimental to creativity or very limiting to creativity is probably a better word. 
However, a good consultant is going to self-select. They're going to know that giving you too long a response or putting in a bunch of fluff is going to hurt them. So if you don't set a page limit and you get a bunch of responses that are 20 some, 25 pages, you're like, okay, this seems to be about the average, we're good. But then you get like, let's say you get two responses that are like 40, 45, 50 pages. You can just go ahead and throw them out because obviously they can't be concise. They can't get it done in a efficient manner. So you're not gonna pick them anyway. But I would recommend letting the consultant self-select and determine their own page limit because I think you're going to get a much higher quality product that's more demonstrative of what you will get from them as a final product. And then finally, long RFQs. The length of the RFQ seems to have a correlation to the size of the municipality. And again, it's something that's been very normalized and I think people expect it, but long RFQs only set you up to contradict yourself more. The longer it is, the more chance you have to repeat yourself and not be consistent in the information that you've provided. And I touched on this a little bit last week as well because I saw it recently. A larger municipality had put out a set of RFQs, kind of did a whole dump of them all at once for a variety of things. And even though I wasn't going after all of them, I was actually only going after one, I saw the same problems pop up in each one where they were repeating themselves. They were trying to do, you know, like a top 10 list of asks and then elaborate on those and they didn't match up. Or there would be multiple paragraphs under the same heading that had something in the third paragraph that, that seemed to contradict something that was in the first paragraph under that heading. So if you were able to keep your, your RFQ short and concise, you have a much higher chance of not contradicting yourself and therefore you're not gonna get as many questions from the consultants. It's gonna make the, a process more efficient for everybody. But also, RFQs tend to have a ton of stuff in them that doesn't really need to be there. I like the history sections where you're just giving a little background. It's just kind of a nice intro. A lot of consultants are not good at doing their background work. They're not good at doing their research. So you don't have to give them the kitchen sink at the beginning or the end of your RFQ. You can help make your own life easier by not giving them all the information and then seeing what they come up with. Did they really do their homework? Did they look at your last comp plan? Did they look at your uh, UDO? Did they look at this or that that you've already put out there? Now, you could give links to those things. I think that's perfectly fine and it's nice when people do that. But rely on your response teams to find out that information. You don't have to give them all of that. There's nothing wrong with just giving a little bit of info about your project and or your city and then just jumping right in to the items that you want to see in a response. You also are going to put people off if you have pages and pages of information that's not 
absolutely applicable to the project. And that's kind of hard to determine. Sometimes our own bias will creep in. So like I said last week, I recommend that you have a couple people on your team look at it because maybe they can be a little more selective than you are. Maybe you're a history buff and you want to have a five page history section when really you need like half a page. Let your coworkers help you with that distillation of information, but also make your respondent teams go out and find out some stuff for themselves because it will show how dedicated that they have the potential to be for you. That will help you make that short list easier to select and faster to select. If you get to reading their proposal and they clearly haven't looked up any of the other plans in your community or don't know anything about it, then you're not going to shortlist them. If you do let them through to the interview process and they can't answer any of your questions or clearly don't know enough about your town, city, whatever, then, you know, that's an easy way to check them off the list. Scratch them off the list. I have seen RFQs and RFPs that were upwards of 50 or 60 pages. And when I see those, I scroll right back up to the first page and see how much time I have. It would amaze you to know how many very long RFQs only give you like 14 days to respond, in which case I don't even go after them. And I know other people don't too. So you're already shooting yourself in the foot. Some of the, the firms or teams who might be awesome for you aren't even going to try because they're like, Phew, these blowhards don't know when to lock it up. You know, that's something to consider when you want to write a better RFQ. So I hope you found that helpful. I know I get a little ranty sometimes, but I don't think I'm wrong. So I'm going to keep doing it. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you can glean something from it and make your RFQs better in the future. My goal with these two episodes has simply been to allow you to get better responses from your consultants and get a better set of applicants trying to work with you on projects. The better your RFQ is, the better the responses are going to be and the better firms who are going to respond to them. If you are a private consultant and have any other beefs with RFQs and RFPs, please feel free to share them with me. Like I said, I can always do a part three or anything else from a previous episode you want to add to. I can always do an addendum to another episode or maybe I hear enough that I make an entirely new part two episode to something. If you have questions for Hello City Help, ideas for future episodes, or would like to be a guest, whether you're recorded or not, please let me know. I'm happy to hear from everybody. It really makes my day when people email me with questions, um, especially when they have suggestions for things. I get super excited. My email address is hellocitypodcast at gmail.com. I also am on Twitter at hellocitypod and... Instagram and YouTube at Hello City Podcast. If you prefer beeped versions of the episodes, those go up on the YouTube version of the episodes when applicable. I did swear several times today, so I'll have to go through and beep those, making more work for myself, but whatevs. Typically, the YouTube videos go up within a week of the uh, regular old audio only versions of the podcast. 
please also check out hellocitypodcast.com for past episodes, links to the YouTube videos, information and sources when applicable, and also links to our Patreon stuff, if you are so inclined. So hopefully I will get to talk to you next week along with my super awesome guest. I'm very excited about it. I hope you are too. I look forward to speaking with you then. And remember, make no small plans. Have a great day.